My friend Larry Rigdon and I go way back. I'm talking wonder years back. We went to the same elementary school, and we were friends during those formative stand-by-me years, like from around 12 to 16. In fact, as you'll hear in this conversation, 16 was kind of a hard cutoff point, because that was the year Larry had to move away from Plano, where we grew up. He never got to finish high school with our class of friends. Now, it just so happened that when I called Larry, he was feeling kind of nostalgic at the time, and he'd just been looking at YouTube videos and Google Maps and stuff of the places he grew up. So that really colors this conversation. For those of you who uh, may not know, uh, Plano is a suburb of Dallas, Texas. According to Wikipedia, the city's population was 269,776 at the 2010 census, making it the ninth most populous city in the state of Texas. The city is an affluent hub for many corporate headquarters, such as Dell Services, Dr. Pepper Snapple Group, Ericsson, Frito-Lay, HP Enterprise Services, Huawei, JCPenney, Pizza Hut, Tech Mahindra America Inc., and Toyota Motor North America Inc. In 1983, it was dubbed the Suicide Capital of America, as nine suicides among Plano high schoolers drew national attention to the town. And there was also an epidemic of heroin abuse among young people in the 1990s. In his book, It's Not About the Bike, disgraced cyclist Lance Armstrong, who grew up in Plano, described the city this way. It was the quintessential American suburb, with strip malls, perfect grid streets, and faux antebellum country clubs in between empty brown wasted fields. It was populated by guys in golf shirts and Sanzibelt pants, and women in bright fake gold jewelry, and alienated teenagers. Nothing there was old, nothing real. To me, there was something soul-deadened about the place. It's home to Plano East High School, one of the largest and most football-crazed high schools in the state. In Plano, Texas, if you weren't a football player, you didn't exist. And if you weren't upper middle class, you might as well not exist either. So I'm not saying Lance's description is the only way to describe Plano. And we all know he has a rocky relationship with the truth, but it gives you kind of a taste. But it was also just the neighborhoods where Larry and I grew up. So that's the background. Now on to Larry Rigdon. I'm Dave Austin. And who are these people? Say something. Oh, do you have the... Can you hear me? Yeah, and I'm rolling. Did you make sure that... Oh, okay. Uh, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. A lot exactly. of sci-fi ideas are becoming real. Now. Yeah. It's like Barbarella's tongue box. Yellow. Yeah. Yellow. It is therapeutic. The last generation to be raised without the internet. Yeah. The first generation to jump into the internet. What, what does it mean? Like, did it really even happen? This is Larry. Larry Rigdon, what the hell do you know? <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good so far. I, uh... Got the mother-in-law here. You had to catch me at a good time. She's able to watch the kids, so... All right. I'm actually free, believe it or not. Yeah, well, I guess that's the best way to just do it by chance like this, because every time we planned, something fucked up and we couldn't do it. <laughs> I'm all about impromptu. That's good. Cool. Well, nice to hear your voice after 20-plus years or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's kind of like, uh, you know, it, when we talk over Facebook, I, I have this problem, and I hope not, I'm not like kind of like rupturing your your scheme of things you had laid out no. but uh I, I have this problem I, you know I've, I've been gone for so long and you're kind of in the same boat because you've been overseas for a while now mm-hmm. and but i've been gone from plano as as a whole other than a couple people since like 86 and i got this snapshot in my head you know the, of what people look like right then at that point yeah, and we're, right. and we're and we're talking roughly about August 1986, you know. So I didn't get to start the next school year or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, we we moved on and everything. And uh, so I get on Facebook and it, and it, it trips me out because the the way the human mind kind of like 
if it doesn't know what it, it's ever witnessed, you know, it continue on through the years, it just stays right where it's at. Right. Yep. And then I just see all these people. I'm just like, holy shit, man! This this is so crazy. You know, I mean, the image is there, but I think that the deal is, is it's like you don't want to see it sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, in general, I was you know I was talking to my mom and uh, and uh, my dad. You know, we, we, you came up. You know, because I've only talked about so many people, I guess, from back then. Right. And um, and some they just don't remember. They remember you, obviously. They remember Jesse. You know, I, I hung out with you. You were a different class of. It sounds like Dungeons and Dragons or something. But you were a different class of, of friend as opposed to Jesse. You know, because Jesse was a friend down the street, and you were actually an intellectual friend that I could deal with. And <laughs> so yeah, I mentioned him up, and I told him I was like, you know what, damn, you know, Dave Austin. Just I mean, other than. The physical features, you know, generally, because I knew, you know, you, you've got what a history of, of baldness. I'm not trying to sound bad or anything. That's okay. I've come reality, to terms with it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's a fact. You look generally the same. It, it's easy to, It's easy for me to relate historically to you than probably anybody else. <laughs> you know, because if I look at Jeff Witt, he's changed quite a bit, you know, and, yes. and so on. But you, I mean, your image is just, other than the hair thing, that's it. Well, you know... If you were to look up close, you might see some more differences, but uh, I kind of know what you're saying, especially that's one good thing about losing your hair early is that I've looked the same now for like 20 plus years and there's no, there's no more uh, like, oh, his hair, he's losing his hair, it's receding hairline. It's like that, that's been over and done with for decades already. Yeah. So as long as I can keep the, keep the double chin at bay, you know, and, uh, yeah. um, you know, there, I've got crow's feet for sure. And, and, uh, yes. definitely, um, on closer inspection, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be good for an, uh, high definition or 4k ultra close up. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, you I know, a nice long shot, you know, like if, uh, you know, full body, maybe from, uh, from 20 or 30 feet away yeah i probably look pretty much the same so yeah well i mean at least you like you know a lot of you know how america has gone you know it at least you're not like 30 to 40 pounds over yeah that is the weight that i remember or something like that so i I think that was another thing that they kept me you know it's like you know like again like i said about the hair it's like i looked at your picture on facebook it's like oh let's look it's high, it's, it's high school dave austin <laughs> that's what i was thinking minus all the features you were talking about just now but i mean the first image i was like ah what are you, man? this this guy is takes me back home you know a little bit you know and the other ones i look at i'm like oh man obviously they had a rough life or something, but, <laughs> well you know, it's you know it is, it's just a trippy situation in general one just the the getting older thing, which everybody relates to. Everyone has to go through in one way, shape, or form. But then, yeah, being away from not only your hometown or whatever that is, but your home country for a long time, uh, it it is kind of a perceptual change. It reminds me a bit of, you know how they say, like, Einstein's relativity, like if you were to go and travel at the speed of light and then come back, uh, it might only be like two or three years for you, but it would have been like a longer time for everybody back on Earth. Yes. Sometimes I kind of feel like that's what's going on. You know, like uh, America is changing faster than I am. Yes. One is because I'm not there to... When you're there, everything seems to change gradually because you're in it. But when you just check in every now and then, you're like, whoa, it's like Futurama, you know, things are... <laughs> You know, that's, that's, that's funny you said that because you're right. I, I mean, I haven't lived – I'm probably at the point – I think I mentioned this one once before. I'm probably going to have to retire just to get back to the continental U.S. Oh, yeah. Um, just, you know, because, you know, I'm in the military and so, right. you know, and and when I started off in the military, it, it wasn't really about the travel or anything. You know, I, you know how silly I was back when I was in high school. You know, I had – a family full of veterans, you know, and it just it just kind of fell in place. And I was one of those that, you know, the long, tall, lanky kid with like no direction, whatever, you know. And I had a little bit of a different childhood than not. I'm talking about like parental figure mm-hmm. than some people had, you know. Uh, you know, your parents were different than my parents. You know, my parents were. My dad was this like. 
Vietnam vet, you know, and we moved into a, just a neighborhood by chance group. It was like, oh, you two can, you know, that old area over at Plano. Right. It was like, you two can live in a house with your VA benefits, you know, and all the houses look the same and all that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's one thing to go along with that that I've noticed living outside of the U.S. for so long is it's like the U.S. culture these days is like chewed up the Americana that we remember. I can see that, yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. when, when you stopped me and you said, hey, can, are you available to talk and everything like that, I was getting to get to that point about playing. I was a you know, all this drone technology and everything everybody's doing, that's what I was watching, actually. Oh, you were watching people's uh, drone videos yeah, so of playing Yeah, and some narration and some of that and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just like, God, Plano is one of those, te- you know, it's like a small version of L.A. L.A. is a real fascinating place because it's such a plastic city. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh, explain, and Plano, like plastic is in fake or is it in it? In that it yeah, changes it's a lot. So, it, it's it, that it changes that it's you know there's nothing real you know because it's an expansion city it's it's not like the East Coast you know where right. things historical blah 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 yeah this and that you know our heritage is set in the ground and we ain't changing from that because we're so proud of it mm-hmm. you know Southern California was one of those places everybody was trying to get away from that they moved over there mm-hmm. this and that. And I'm not saying Plano's like that. Plano is the what, what do they call that place now? The the Silicon Prairie or whatever it is. Because <laughs> oh, they got so much. Is that what they're calling it? Silicon oh, yeah, Prairie. Yeah, something like that. Because okay. it's got like a tech, a lot of tech. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of tech there. in all of Texas. But yeah, especially Dallas, Houston, Austin, their yeah. tech centers. And. But it wasn't like that originally. It no. was. It was. It was a. It was a. What do they call that? I, I can't I remember how the actual term they use. What? I remember reading about it. it's. Um, um, you know, kind of like get away from, you know, a suburb, I guess, you know, in a way. But it was uh, a lot of land available, you know, yes. people were buying into that right. and everything. And then these techs move in. And then that, it's just like that that whole, I guess we were the ass end of that people that were there just to buy the, the cheaper houses and this and that. And it had nothing to do with businesses because, oh, I mean. I know what you're saying. We were, Plano, okay, Plano was first just a small farming community, yeah, and, and then exactly. it became then it became a bedroom community because because yeah. it was, it was uh, at, like when we were kids, ninety percent of the people there drove into Dallas to work, and then they drove yes. home then they drove home to Plano for their house, you know, for yeah. their home. So exactly. yeah, it was totally a commuter commuter city. Yeah, um, exactly. And, uh, and yeah, go ahead. And it just it, it grew into this monster and as it grew into this monster it just like chewed up everything that we ever remembered you know uh you know because we had i mean i am not it's a generation thing obviously you know the, the generation before us can say well you know it was simpler times blah 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 mm-hmm. you know but we had that we you know we went to the creek to go play you know we <laughs> rode our bikes and all this stuff like that and you know all that imagery of where we rode our bikes where we played at the creek Right. You know, where we kicked the soccer ball or whatever the case may be, you know, hanging out in the, you know, we did a lot of hanging out in like the alleyways and stuff. It was always in the front, you know, right. That's where we did all our damage was in the alley. <laughs> yeah. And it's just gone. Yeah. At least I'm sure it is gone in Plano. Maybe there's some places out somewhere that it still exists, but just the whole way people parent their children has changed a lot. It's yeah. changed incredibly. Uh you know, I've heard that there's a term for called free range children because it's like mm-hmm. a there's a movement. It's like you gotta re, you gotta stop being a helicopter parent. You know, stop yeah. trying to control and, and protect your kids every moment of every day. You know, yeah. it, it's okay to let them go outside and ride their bike to a friend's house or go to the store or whatever. Come back, you know. But yeah, because things have changed the way people raise their kids for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I wonder if kids still go down to the creek to try and catch crawdads, you know, with like a piece of bacon <laughs> yeah. tied around a string exactly. or something you know, like that. Just, Not like we were like Huckleberry Finn or anything, but you yeah, know, it yeah. was a way to kill time and stuff. And you know, it, there was things to do. You know, or just um, there was time to do it. That might might, might, yeah. might be the bigger difference. Well, that and, you know, so as Plano built up, you know, uh, new sets of kids, you know, some of these kids that were obviously like living out in Los Rios, 
Right, yeah. And stuff, you know, that, that was her first job. So That's a name to... I haven't heard in a long time, Los yeah. Rios, okay. Yeah, so even if it's even called that anymore, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, some of them kids that lived out in that area that we couldn't afford, obviously, or our parents couldn't afford. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one name that comes, like, I don't know why I remember this guy's name. I've hung out with him on a couple occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he liked to hang out with me for a lot. I don't, I don't know if it was just, I don't know what it was, you know. Uh, Todd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that name. Oh, I remember him. Yeah. Well, you know his his father was well off. He had something. I, I don't know where he worked or something like that, but it, it was obviously in these uh, these you know those up and coming companies, tech companies or something. Mm-hmm. And so he lived in Los Rios, and man, he was out of control. In what way? I mean, it just so. Like you were talking about, we were kind of contained with just the upbringing where we're at, you know, because we had, I'm not saying we had like simpleton parents or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we weren't rich. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I think maybe our parents taught us how to be humble. Yeah, right. Just through their actions, you know what I mean? And yes. this guy, like Todd, I mean, good guy, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um he might have not, his personality might not have been for everybody, but when he was away from his parents, he was just, God, he was just, he, you know, he had, he had a brand new car. Yeah. You know, I mean, brand new. Like, so this was like, we worked at what, Brookshire's up until like before the summer of 86 started, and he had like a 1986, like, I think it was a Volkswagen GTI. Right. And he was just out of control. Yeah. I mean, it was just the, it won underage drink, you know. Right. You know, I think I think at one point he he busted out the cocaine or something. I mean, it was just it was just nuts. You know, it was just something I wasn't used to. I was just like, whoa. Yeah. You know, I just thought it was cool because maybe I was hanging out with one of the cool kids. You know, I mean, I, I know that's kind of stupid to say, but it's part of that adolescence. Right. And I could only do it so long. I was just like, whoa, 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 man. And this is like the type of shit my, my ass gets beat for, you know. Right. And uh, he was. His parents would like go on these business trips or trips and everything. And he had this whole big house to himself, and I just, it just floored me that just yeah. his parents just let him stay there. They just, he was like a bot child or something. Yeah, you know, it was really crazy, you know. And well, well you know what I what I found is that like yeah, I would say that you and I and our kind of circle of of classmates and stuff, you know, our parents were very uh, very middle class. They had very um, yeah, they were humble to say. I mean, they were practical, and they were a family. Family was a priority, and like mm-hmm. they they weren't like uh, they weren't chasing like uh, status. You know, they weren't yeah. trying. They weren't trying to get move up the ladder so they could get a flashier car and a and a higher paying job. Like you know, yeah. m- my parents, they were just they were looking for a good job that was. That could support the family, uh, mm-hmm. and that you know that there was a decent job, and and uh, and that because they were settled down, they weren't thinking of like moving around to jockey for position. Uh, yeah. But what I've realized is that I think our parents were actually the oddballs. I think most of the people in the world are the ones jockeying for position, trying to work their way up the corporate ladder, and yeah. you know who would, who would move to a new town at the drop of a hat if it was a higher paying job, and yeah. you know would wouldn't think twice about leaving their kid at home just so that they can get out and you know go do their do their yeah. thing. Um, I think more and more that's how people generally have been have become, uh, yeah. and maybe we were the real odd ones that we had this little moment of like uh, leave it to Beaver family, you know. <laughs> In the yeah. in the middle of uh, Dallas suburbs. Well, we also had the because um, I remember we were in we were, we were in Cub Scouts together, and I don't I don't even think I made it to Weevilos if you can remember all that crap. But, I, I dropped out before then. Yeah, uh, yeah, I dropped out too, and I think it was just I just got bored with it. But you know, I think that kept us pretty tight because there was a lot of us, so that was our little, little stomping grounds. Because I mean, we didn't know any better, but there really wasn't that much to do out there. No, there was, we were fairly isolated. In, yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, that was one of the things that uh, I didn't like about my upbringing, upbringing, and it was something that I subconsciously rebelled against, was that I think I felt the isolation a lot. In yeah. that, you know, um, 
because it was a commuter yeah. uh, commuter community, you know, it's like you, during the day, if you were home, you could look out the window for hours and like you might not see anything, you know, until like the mailman comes and delivers the mail, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then it's like yeah. uh, um, th- you're just kind of disconnected from how things worked, you know, um, like here, one of the things I like about living well, you know, first I kind of moved more into cities, but then like a place like Singapore, which is like high, high urban density, one of the highest yeah, yeah. urban mm-hmm. density places, you know, is that just in any given day, you know, you see a lot of people doing a lot of different stuff. You know, it just feels more like like there's things going on, like you're a little bit more connected to stuff. Yeah. Now, well, I've, I've heard that ahead. Plano has become a lot more like a lot more urban. Um, yes. You know, especially like the downtown Plano area is supposed to be a lot more walkable now. And yeah. like it's uh, got more mixed use buildings and, you know, it's more of an urban center and it's got public transportation, you know, all things like that. Whereas I, I've i made this comparison before. Sometimes I look back at my neighborhood, that first neighborhood in Plano, it, mm. it felt like um, the idea that you're terraforming a foreign planet, you know, <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're like a bunch of colonists and they, they just like created this little neighborhood. And then but outside of it is like, you know, miles and miles of vast wasteland that hasn't been hasn't been terraformed yet. Yeah. Well, you know, I know we, we talk about the kind of the isolationism when it came to I mean, you really had to get away from Plano to realize how isolated you were. Mm-hmm. But but but. You know, you were fortunate enough. You know, I, I still got some of your letters and stuff. You said, you oh, know, or, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, some were sad because you know we talked about the Chris Whitehead, you know, the suicide, right. all yeah. that stuff like that. And some was just general, like, hey, this is how everything is going mm-hmm. and stuff. I saved them. Uh, they're old now. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And uh, you know, we talked on the phone a couple times. I think back then, this is probably the end of man. My man, I when we moved, we moved in August of '86, and we moved into this place called Pacific, Missouri. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that a bit. And there, you know, it's like you you ever watch the the Office? Yes, of course. Yeah. The TV series. Okay, yeah. so there's that scene where you know Toby does his out out interview where Michael comes in, and he was like, you know. Out of all the idiots, out of all the idiot villages, <laughs> in all the idiot worlds, you know, <laughs> you take the cake or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. You stand alone, my friend. That's what yeah. it is. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm from Texas. Don't get me wrong. You know, and, I, and I'm, it's like one of those things. You go to this place called Pacific, Missouri, and it's off the Merrimack River, and it's only got about a population of 1,100. Wow. You know, and coming from Texas, you know, you're already an outsider. Right. You know, you come from a suburb of Dallas, Texas, you know, it's kind of up and coming, and you get out to, like, Mudlick, Missouri, all of a sudden. And <laughs> Was it really yeah, called Mudlick? Nah, <laughs> yeah. it should have been. It should have been. It was outer limits type of environment. Really? For two and a half years, I never adjusted to that community, that lifestyle, the way people acted, the way people talked, you know. And I was mm-hmm. an outsider. I had that thick Texas accent still. Mm-hmm. This is no joke. I had like teachers give me hell about my accent. Really? You know, like I was like I was I was like the butt of a joke. You but, know, I'm mean, just like because the I, Missouri never, accent's so good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it's you know, stranger in a strange land type. Uh, I, I can't win that battle, especially when I'm only 16, getting ready to go on 17. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm, I'm already at that age where everything is you know confusing in my head, and you know, oh woe is me. You know, and right. I, Moved away from all my childhood friends up to that point, and you know we lived in this this flat, and it was just a complete shit. Hole. You don't mind if like, I'm gonna no go ahead. Use some adult language, yeah, it's you know, uh, it was, explicit it's just, uh, content. Yeah, so it's a it's a complete shithole, You know, you know it was all my dad's doing. You know, I mean, God bless his soul, he's my dad, and we get along fine now and everything. But back then, he was in this just the whole mess of issues. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe we we stayed there like two and a half years. You know. But getting back to what I was saying, it really made me appreciate the fact that even though I was isolated, uh, you know, I had the ones that I could enjoy the isolation with. 
<laughs> okay, yeah, right. If I go to Pacific, Missouri, I mean, granted, you know, terrain-wise, you know, it had rolling hills, you know, it was in the Ozarks, kind of mm-hmm. the edge of the Ozarks. But it was just the people. God, I was just like, golly, you know. And then, uh, you know, from there, I well, was two and a half years there. And I think the big reason we there because I have relatives in St. Louis, which is a whole other story. You know, it's a whole other group of people. Right. And we moved to Kansas City. It wasn't the same as Texas altogether, but I just kind of like kind of linked in a little bit, you know, when I went to the school. Yeah. I mean, it just I kind of like meshed with people instantly. Right. Because when I moved to Pacific, I didn't, probably didn't talk to anybody for over a year. Man, that's rough. Yeah, it was like, yeah, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, what's up? Whatever. Anyways, and then rode the bus home to school, you know, and then did it again the next day and, and the next day. So I did a lot of reading, man. That's when I got all my Stephen King stuff in. Okay. Well, yeah, it does sound like you had kind of an outer limits, twilight zone kind of two years there. Oh, I can't. I, I even wrote a paper uh, my sophomore year in college. Yeah. Uh, that uh, it, was, it was crazy. So I wrote it, you know, and the, and the instructor was like, golly, man. And I thought he was like going to be like, and I thought he was going to give me like so much negativity, you know, negative Nancy. You're such a blah, 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 this and that, you know, because I'm, I'm known to be a pessimist. Mm-hmm. And he was just, and then he goes into his story. I was like, so obviously, I was like, ah, okay, at least I'm not the only one out there to, you know, witness this, this, this Satan's ass, you know, of a place. And yeah, it was so bad that I literally had to like look for outlets. You know, I was smoking a lot of weed there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I by myself. You know, I mean, I would literally go to like this top of this this overlook, mm-hmm. and just get hired in a kite yeah just to come home you know I'd watch like Taxi or something like that because it's you know late 80s you know right. it, was starting to, it was still hanging around yeah and, and I'd just giggle it off and then I'd fall asleep and then I'd go do it again you know it was just two and a half years that's how bad it was because you know one, I, one thing I really wanted to ask you and was just to get to the whole military thing because you've had a career in the military right you've uh-huh. been in the military for how many years and you've been in two different branches of the military. Yeah, right? two different branches. You know, I had a, I had a separation in in, in, in time and service. Mm-hmm. So this November, I hit my twenty year mark for combined. Oh, for combined, okay. Yeah. Uh, so it was first. It was in the army, right? It was from the army. Yeah, I went from ninety two to ninety eight. Okay. Did, it wasn't six years. It was it was a little over five and a half. And then then you uh, enlisted in the navy later, right? Yeah, it was and five years later. I enlisted in the navy. And uh, now you're like what rank in the Navy? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a uh, senior chief petty officer, but Navy terms, I'm a senior chief petty officer. I'm, a, I'm an E8. I'm only and for the enlisted mm-hmm. um, side of the personnel, I've only got one more pay grade, and that's as far as I can go. Okay. All right. Now the the big that was I just wanted to establish that. Now the thing that I want to ask you is because I remember you're talking about you're this lanky high school kid you were also like very anti-authority you know and like you would you would never hesitate to say how stupid you thought the military could be and um so at what point did you come to terms with that or have you ever come to terms with that or how did you make that switch from being kind of a uh an anti-authoritarian uh even hippie you know, like your, one of your running jokes that still cracks me up just thinking about it any day uh, is that you would always find a copy of the Woodstock album and you would turn it over and you'd point to a couple on the back like it, that were sitting there on some uh, beach blanket or something and you'd be like, oh, that's where I was conceived. Those are my parents right there. <laughs> and you did that over and over again and I always cracked up. So you had this like, this, like hippie uh, alter ego and yet you've made a career in, in the military. So I, I I can't wrap my head around it. Help help me out here. Yeah, um, I will admit I was an odd... When I hit... I, I, I was in a weird stage. I, when I hit puberty, my parents got divorced. Mm-hmm. And um, wow, they're probably divorced today and, and they live together. I'm, I'm, and I'm not lying about that. I, I literally think that's what's going on. Wait, they, are, um, they live together, but they... Ever, they, I don't ever remember them remarrying. Okay, they never told <laughs> you? Like, you know, they didn't tell me. If they did it, they did it in some, you know, by some oak tree with the <laughs> druids or whatever, you know, that I wasn't present. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, but as they far do, as I know, but they live together yeah. as as husband and wife today. I think they've lived they've lived together like longer being not married <laughs> than they ever did. Than as, they were married. Okay, well, whatever works. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess that's how. It, but um, I accept it though. I could, you know, I consider them married though. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they divorced, right? And you know, <laughs> you're talking about being in Plano and everything. You know. Being a, a, a preteen, your puberty is ruthless. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had a lot of negative negativity in my mind about it was like night and day. You know, I still have like uh, old VHS videos. My uncle uh, Rob, mm-hmm. uh, he has a me, and you could tell. You know, about that time frame, I completely changed. There was something that had changed. Okay. I don't know if, if it was a lashing out thing because there was times when you know, my dad didn't was didn't live with us. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom had to work very hard. Sometimes she worked two jobs, you know, and, and right. we didn't have much. Mm-hmm. And I was I, I could have been a renegade, and, and nothing was done. All I had to do was just stay out of trouble with the cops. Yep. You know, uh, I got to the point where I was already a shitty student, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think I was just, I was just getting away with it, you know. And then like statements like you said, like making those kind of jokes and everything. I mean, that was. Uh, I think I, uh, you know, I, I, I thrived on that to make up for all the empty space that I had, you know, with my parents. Mm-hmm. And my my dad totally embraced when you talk about you know the bedroom community. You know, there was a there was a, a lot of I guess decadence. In Plano, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it came to like drugs and stuff like that and everything. And I'm not saying my dad was like a complete, like, you know, pillhead, you know, or he was like a coke addict or anything like that. But he mm-hmm. did his fair share of partying, mm-hmm. and sometimes to our expense because he brought it to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he was one of those who would be gone for a couple of days because he partied and he just wouldn't come back. Right. And I think it just kind of burned and. You know, I think it burned an image that maybe that's just the way it's supposed to be, um, in a way. It's kind of like a caste system, you know. Like I, that's, that's where I thought I was supposed to be. I was just one of those kids that was just unfortunate that I didn't have uh, this certain type of parent or that certain type of parent. But damn it, I'm going to make up for it somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, the But the patriotism part was always with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I there there was a time when being in the military wasn't the cool thing to do. Right. You know, uh, we coming up. You know, even in the eighties, you know, we're coming from the ashes of the, the Vietnam, Vietnam War. Yeah. You know, and they started making all these damn movies. You remember that? You know, of course. For for acceptance and stuff. And I'm not talking like the Rambo movies or anything. You know, they kind of like glamorized it. But we got into the the dark age of movies where they're doing Platoon. You know, right. Hamburger Hill, Full Metal Jacket, and all mm-hmm. that stuff like that. And uh, but I was patriotic since my you know my grandfather he was a, he's a uh, World War II veteran on you know Germany and mm-hmm. you know Purple Heart recipient and all this stuff like that and you know he was my hero and mm-hmm. I felt like that I could be that hero at some point yeah you know although I'm not talking too dark but I mean it's no just, go ahead it's reality and and um, but I really didn't want nobody to know that you know I, I just didn't. I was getting more attention to being the the, the the guy that just didn't fit in. Let's just say that. Just didn't fit in. Okay. Moving forward, you know, I almost, I thought about dropping out of school when I was in Pacific because mm-hmm. it was just so terrible, you know. And I had that option. I must have went to MEPS. MEPS is a, a, where they do the medical screenings and stuff like for the military. I think I went like just twice just there, mm-hmm. toying with the idea, you know. Now I was going to join the Marines there for a while and that was just more bravado and prove that I could do it, you know. Right. And then I realized that, believe it or not, the Marines, you have to have a high school diploma. Oh, really? <laughs> Joint. Yeah, you wouldn't think it, but that's the truth, you know. I found out the hard way on that, because oh, I was yeah. always... And, um, you know, I talked to the Army, of course, you know, they don't need it, and then I didn't think about the Navy then. But I moved on. You know, I was like, I'll go ahead and grind this out, because uh, I found out we were moving anyways. Let's see if there's a greener grass on the other side. So mm-hmm. we moved to Kansas City. You know, I, I, I slowly but surely made it out of and graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Well, I got stuck. You know, I had an injury. You know, I I, I got a hernia, and that was like, God, damn. You know, it's like, you know, I had all these plans. You know, and this hernia keeps you out from getting in. 
if you get the surgery and you recover, you can go in. I just, I, I didn't have the money. You know, I wasn't on no insurance plan. I don't even think I was on my parents' insurance plan. Right. Um, because they were trying to draw as much out of their paycheck as they could. Right. And, uh, but anyways, you know, I, I dug in and, and I, and I, and I, uh, finally did it. But you know what? You, you, going back to Plano, you know, I was still like that though. In what? I was still, still this, like what? How you talked about how I was pointing at the picture, you know, yeah. saying that, that type of humor. Right. That I was trying to draw. And it was all just acceptance, I think, at this point. But it was, a, it was a good sense of humor, too. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Are you, do, you, do, you, do you regret it or something? You were, I mean, you were a nah, funny guy. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, you know, this is, like we said, this is like, you know, preteen going to teenage, you know, yeah. and, and acceptance is kind of a big deal. I think when I started getting that that 17, 18, 19, mm-hmm. some of the things I said was starting to hurt people. Oh, okay. I was really, um, you know, I'm, I, I was in, in a toxic environment with mm-hmm. myself included. Mm-hmm. Um, I started dabbling a little bit more. You know, I was I I I I. I was drinking, obviously. I got to the point where I was getting to the point where I could, I could buy um, beer. I mean, I wasn't really a big hard liquor drinker, but, you know, wine or beer or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'd use it to all its capacity, put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would still, you know, smoke the weed. And then uh, every once in a while, I'd dabble in, in, in the acid. Mm-hmm. You know, and I regret that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that. And, and what it was is, it's why I quit drinking. I eventually quit drinking, and it's because during that time I was using a lot of that to try to connect with myself. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds crazy, but a lot of people do that. You know, it's it's sitting in your room high, just trying to figure out your problem. Yeah. But it doesn't work in the long run. But getting back to being, you know, seventeen, eighteen, you know, I was dating girls uh, that obviously was into me, and I was into them at a certain point. Mm-hmm. You know, but some of them were, you know, maybe more than what I was ever expecting. And I'd lash out, you know, I'd say some demeaning stuff like that. Not, not I'm not saying I was just going down the street saying, you know what, you're an idiot, blah, blah, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, it was a certain time and place where this usually went down. Mm-hmm. And what I found out was if, if I took just a little bit of criticism from mm-hmm. anybody, mm-hmm. from I mean, it didn't matter who it was. And if it was at that right point with the right words, I would lash out verbally. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm getting at. That, okay. That's the point I got to. And then go back to the, the, the drug thing. You know, I just you get to the point where, like, you, you, you feel like you're cheating yourself on other stuff. I think we talked about this before. You know, I know you you had a point in your time where you were just like, you know, you had dark thoughts. Yes, yes. You know, you consume yourself with it mm-hmm. a little bit. And instead of actually doing that, you know, getting all messed up and everything, you know, whatever the method you use, you really find out you're really digging a hole. Mm-hmm. So I got to get out of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So I started toying with the fact, you know, and I'm still patriotic, you mm-hmm. know, keep that in mind. And me and my dad, we were really buttonheads, you know. I'm, uh, at this point, I'm already 22. Okay. All right, I'll, I'll, let me go back. I'm I'm getting ready to turn 22. Mm-hmm. And me and my dad are really buttonheads. You know, I've already been kicked out of the house once. Um, so I finally, you know, got the surgery, got my hernia thing taken care of, and all this stuff like that. And I and I joined the army. Mm-hmm. It was relieving because I was finally moving on. I felt like I was moving on with something. Right. At least you were doing something, right? Yeah. Now, now, now we fast forward. You know, I go through basic training. You know, basic training in the army back then it was it was a different culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a, you know, the, hazing is not tolerated anymore in the military. Well, by policy and instruction, it's not tolerated anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it happens. We got, we got cases, but back then it, it was a, a normal thing. Okay. And, it, and Dave, I'm telling you, it was like God. You know, you, you go through this whole adolescence thing and stuff like that, and you know, the the family problems, the functional family, the lashing out, and all of a sudden you get there, and it's like it started all over again. You're just like, damn. You know, it's like. You're you know, here a, I am getting criticized on another level. You're in a different dysfunctional family. Family, all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. and then you're 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 grouped into people that you can't 
you know, some of you, you make some friends, don't get me wrong, but then you're, right. it's like the Pacific thing again. You're just like, God bless, man. There's all this time, man. It just, it's just institutionalized now. You know, you're just like, holy shit. So you get a little, I'm not saying, I guess, I guess not really brainwashed. We'll use institute. We'll stay with institutionalized. Okay. So, you know what? I was like, you know what though, but this is going to get me out. I'm going to travel, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm, Everything that I look at in the pictures of the brochures, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. I'm getting ready to live it. You know, I see the guy smiling, holding up, uh, you know, beer steins at, at yeah. Oktoberfest in Munich and all this stuff like right. that. And I get stuck being stationed in Oklahoma for the first two years. Okay, you Oklahoma. Know? Yeah, Oklahoma is probably the armpit of the U.S. <laughs> and uh, I was just like, God bless, you know. So then going back to. Uh, what you said about you know making those jokes and stuff like that—I was uh, not like I was dis- disrespectful at that point because obviously I had to follow, follow a code of honor and all mm-hmm. this stuff like that. But I was right back where I was again. I was like, "Damn, you know, golly!" And, uh, and then I got transferred to Germany. Okay. But I went there married. That was probably like my biggest mistake. You know, that was my first wife. Uh huh. Um, and uh, you know that was an eye opener. You know, you know, you, you you could probably say the same thing. You move away from the norm, mm-hmm. you know, and you go to somewhere. Germany is not really a, a, a culture shock, you know, because we come from that stock in some shape or form. Yes. You know, it, maybe not Germany, but within that area, you know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of, you know, something that's ingrained in our heritage in some shape or form. Right. So I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy Europe. Uh, I don't know. I, I You know, I moved away from there in 98. Uh, I'm sure it's different there now, um, both uh, with the union and financially. Right. But uh, it really opened my eyes to how to just enjoy myself without forcing myself to enjoy myself, I guess, by using, you know, alcohol and all that stuff like that. I still drank, though. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, like I said, I was married, so am I am – I, am I, Derailing off your original no, question, no. I can't remember. Okay. I, I want to go wherever you want to talk about. Okay, so you know, I got married and it, it was fine at first, but it was one of those. You, you got to understand the military. You, you know, you got this fear of of leaving home when you join the military. Mm-hmm. You, you want to do it, but you don't want to do it. You know, and you kind of fight your your emotions with that. And then it was kind of the same thing with. Obviously, I've only been in the Midwest. You know, you're talking from Dallas to St. Louis to St. Louis to Kansas City. Now I'm back in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And give my orders to Germany, and I get into that thing again. You know, you're, you're mixed up in your emotions and everything. I had this girlfriend that she was older, too. I'm sure she knows what she was doing. You know, I was like the little 23-year-old guy. You know, we were still – tell you the truth, we are still babies then. Yeah. And uh, she was like 30. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, she's she's been married like twice already, you know, and uh-huh. I'm, I'm just an idiot, you know, and all I'm doing is getting a piece of tail, you know, and, and of course I get wrapped up all in it and everything, and uh, we end up getting married uh, based off that same, you know, scared to be alone. Yeah. So we go over there, you know, and everything was good for a while. Germany's awesome. I don't know if you've ever been there, you know, uh, please check it out if you ever get a chance. Yeah, I would like uh, to. But, yeah. Um, so I get talked in. I don't know if talked in. She literally didn't say, like, well, you need to get out of the military or something like that. I think it was more of, I don't know how much more of this I can take, you know, with the deployments and stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Um, there were some stages I was gone a lot. Yeah. Uh, but she was set up. She was set, she worked there. She got a job there. You know, she's probably doing better than I was. Uh-huh. Um, and then I, I got out. I wanted to go to school. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go to school full time, and I was going to use my GI Bill and all this stuff like that, which is great. And mm-hmm. then um, it was a very, very, very hard decision because uh, at this point, you know, I got to understand I've been institutionalized for about five and a half years. Yeah. So then I'm on this other level of holy man, you know, the the whole. I mean, the decision to go. Yeah, the decision the to deci- go to school was a tough one to make. No, the decision just, you know. Severing your ties with the military and going back to civilian. Okay. I do it, and we head back, and we go back to Kansas City. You know, it all hit me at one point, you know, this whole, i already been married two times. You know, maybe there was a, some kind of madness to all this, you know. It was yeah. just like, and um, what I found out was, is obviously when she met me, I was still a kid. And obviously, 
when she married me, she was in her 30s, mm-hmm. and she had a control thing. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. and being a kid, I was very easily manipulated mm-hmm. at that point. Because, I mean, I didn't know any better, man. You know, I mean, I didn't have really that many bills or anything like that. You know, right. It was like monkey see, monkey do, just how we were, you know, as teenagers, you know. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, I... I I grew a set of balls on me, and then I realized where I was at in this whole relationship. Yeah, I and miss started this in the military in some shape or form. It wasn't like I, I, you know, I was like, you know, I'm really missing like marching and all. That. You know, it wasn't like that. Right. You know, it wasn't like missing the uniform or anything like that. It was, uh, well, actually, it was because I knew what I had to wear every day. But <laughs> you know, felt like I was being taken care of because that's one thing about the military. Mm-hmm. With the programs in place, you know, you are under constant protection in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you go from that to a civilian life, you know, especially when your your marriage starts going sour, you realize what you had before was probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's the best for everybody. I'm just saying for me and my point of life, and for me, you know, growing up a little bit in the military, it was my thing. Mm-hmm. I was living in a my parents' basement for three years, and mm-hmm. um, I had good intentions, you know, to to put it all back together and. Mm-hmm. and show the world you know that i could be back on my own and mm-hmm. here and back i am again you know with the whole uh, I'm, I'm lost in myself in some shape or form about two years into it and you know i'm hanging out with the crowd that i was with high school you know and obviously they were doing the same exact shit they were you know mm-hmm. other than going to school you know the party and all that stuff like that i knew right. it had to end some point man i mm-hmm. i had to make myself meaningful meaningful somewhere in society mm-hmm. okay you know and obviously the military is all I knew. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I didn't want to go back to the Army just because they were going to make me do the same job, and I didn't want to do that. Okay. Because I was, I was artillery, and I didn't want to handle heavy ordnance. Mm-hmm. And I'd already worked IT with uh, Gateway, you know. I made big strides, and I'd make sure I learned all this shit just mm-hmm. so I could see if I could do something else other than being in the Army. Mm-hmm. I went, and I worked a couple random jobs. I tried to go back to school. I went to the University of Missouri for a little while. And so, uh, you know, I took a couple classes here and there, you know, some were good, some were bad, you know, some sucked, some were painful. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, I, I got I to go. I got to get out of Kansas City at this mm-hmm. point, you know. Uh, by this time, you know, you're probably thinking, eh, you know, this is just run away from his problems, which probably is right at that point. So I called, you know, I, called, I just went to the recruiter one day and I bypassed the Army, you know, and I just went to the, the Navy. I was like, yeah, let's see what this gig's all about, you know. Yeah. Can't be any harder than the army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll go back in, in the military, you know. And then, you know what, though? It, to go back, you said, you know, after all said and done and being institutionalized, it, I literally just kind of like fell in place. You know, it was a different culture. Really? The, the army felt, culture yeah. is completely different, but the whole, I'm in something that I recognize. You know, I'm in something that I can grasp easily now. Okay. You know, it's just one of those things. You know, I don't know if it's maybe one of those people uh, I need to be controlled because, like I said before, you know, when I was in Plano for those teen years, man, I was out of control. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was others of us. You know, it, we were like a, you know, you were, you were probably my antithesis to some of the people that I was hanging out with. <laughs> okay. You know, and that's nothing bad against you. I mean, it, it fits perfect in at, at the time. You mm-hmm. know, everybody needs that. They need that yin and yang. You know, somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were part of that half you know it wasn't jesse you know even though i known jesse a long time i probably know him longer because he lived down the street than right. i knew you i, I think i've known you since like first grade you know jesse's family were zealots yes i mean to like a degree like like the mother of carrie type of shit you know <laughs> you're just like uh, it was nuts yes they were you know, hardcore yeah, I knew you, you. You had been to some, maybe uh, something childhood-wise, either a birthday party or something like that. And but I had stayed over there a couple times, you know. And they were one of those people that they would, you, you know, you like, hey, you know, you just kids, you don't know what to do, you know. You, mm-hmm. you get you get um, manipulated or you know antagonized and doing stuff. I mean, I'd be like, they'd be hauling me to church, bro. You know, it's just right. crazy. You know, I, I didn't know any better at the time. You know, and you think about it now, it's like, God, man, it's like, it's crazy, you know. And they were, God, leave me. They were intense, you know. And 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 Jesse ended up it, to this day. I think he's like that. 
You mean he 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 followed? He followed the yeah. Because I, I yeah, remember just, him. I mean that he was. Well, you know, because I was friends with him. They, basically, in elementary school, maybe some yeah. little school. We didn't. No. We didn't follow up. I kind of lost touch with him. So, you know, I remember having like. Uh, religious discussions with him uh, where things like he was one of those first people that first like evangelical kind of people that I remember like having discussions with him and uh, yeah I he would toe the party line I guess but he just he just (laughs) didn't seem he but at the same time he also didn't seem as like committed I guess you know like he seemed more he would have definitely been happy to just go off and do something unrelated if he yeah, could. Yeah, you're right. But you, you uh, know what? Yeah. You're absolutely right. There's one part that changed him, though. What's that? You, you spark my memory on this. Uh huh. You're right. He did some stuff that was. I'm not saying it was like anything that his parents would not want to know or anything, but obviously it was out of the norm of what his family was believing he should do, you know? Right. Uh, part of it was he had, a, he had a, a, an older brother named John. He had two two brothers. Uh, one, uh, Philip wasn't his real brother. It was his half-brother. Okay. And then um, John, who was his actually blood brother, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was a little wild. Their father, at the time, I can't remember the hell his name is, you know, he was pretty authoritarian, man. He was, you know, I'm not saying he had like a... a a firm hand, you know, but I mean, obviously it was his way of the highway and his right. brother John was like, you don't even have to point to me at the highway because yeah. I'm already on it. <laughs> and he went to go live with his real father. Okay. So I think that was part of the influence, you know, Jesse got wrapped up in that and everything. So they sent him to that, uh, I can't remember if he that, that Richardson Christian Academy. Okay. I mean, that's probably when we lost, when I lost touch with him, huh? It's probably when he yeah. went, went there or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So he went there and I, I don't know, he changed, you know, it, I went to go visit him, you know, and you go in his room, and he's got, like, index cards that he's memorizing scripture, and stuff. And I was just, it was really weird, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. like, okay, whatever, you know, and, but then again, like you said, you know, he had this departure part where he'd come over to my house, and I, and I you know, I was big into Hendrix and all this shit and everything, right. you know, and I would talk, you know, a little wild and stuff, and he would come over there, and he'd just listen to music with me that he wasn't allowed to listen to. Right. You know, and, and then he would be a normal guy for a little while, and then, <laughs> then I don't know, his, uh, he would walk back home, and I'm family. sure, yeah, there's probably some kind of, uh, I don't know, some ion umbrella <laughs> that covered his house and about two houses around yeah, it right. that he just changed again to yeah. make sure his parents were satisfied. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was crazy, and I was just like, God. And then I, you know, I thought about this the other day, and I'm not trying to take over your whole spiel here. Mm, what it's for. Um, you know, the thing with me and you, uh, you know, obviously we, we separated just because of the, you know, the, the control around us, you know, I, I moved away and stuff right. and, but there's the one thing of all of our discussions that I remember from high school, you know, we connected with drawing art and stuff like that. Right. Um, a lot of it I still have. Cool. Um, and this sounds kind of odd. I saw an interview with Dave Navarro, who's okay. the guitarist for used to be the guitarist for Jane's Addiction. Right. And he said this thing. He was talking to somebody. I think it was. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you know your guitarist. Well, you know, I play guitar, so I was like watching this as a nerd. It's kind of like a nerd thing to do uh-huh. for guitarists. And he was interviewing this this guitarist named George Lynch, and they were talking about how they play guitar, but they probably couldn't tell you one bit of theory. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. About playing guitar. And, but they have the creative mind mm-hmm. to make it sound good, right? You know, and I think, you know, take away the, cu- the guitar aspect. I think guys like us, and I'm not being a braggart whatsoever. This is just straight deep thought about, you know, human emotion, human interaction, um, human action. Mm-hmm. Period. Is, you know, we've got a creative mind. Yeah, you know, me and you as a whole, and I think that we're we're created enough that we don't realize it. We just do it. True. Yeah, I suppose. You know, you know what I mean. I can, mm-hmm. I like today. You know, I can. You, 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 because you're in the media business, you know, in some mm-hmm. shape or form, you know, and that's your thing. Right. That's what I mean. You like it, obviously. Or you wouldn't be doing it anymore. But you do it not because 
even me on some things I do, I don't know why I'm doing it as a whole, mm-hmm. but I do it well. Mm-hmm. You know, and when it came to art, as an example, when, it may be the same as you. People come to me like, "How can you draw so good?" And I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, I had everything against me. I'm left-handed. You know, left-handed are, are notorious for having shitty handwriting and all this stuff like that and everything. Can't when I write letters and stuff. I can't draw a freaking straight line to save my life to make a B or a D or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but I put my mind into a uh, a graphite stick or pencil or whatever, and I put it on paper, man, and it just it just goes. Yeah. You know, and people like Jesse, get back to Jesse, you know, he really had guys like that. Mm-hmm. And there's some other ones, you know, they had to force themselves to be creative. You think so? Yeah, they can't be a creative mind. They have to force themselves to be creative in some shape or form. Okay. Because, um, like, you know, perfect example. Okay, perfect example. Mm-hmm. So, remember the drawing we did? It was a complete collage of. Everything and anything we can think of. Remember that? We used to do that all the time, yeah. Yeah, we, we used to do it all the time. Yeah. And but we made it like was a, like, several really, really big sheets of paper with just like yeah, everything it, thrown in, right? Yeah. And it would I love spell that. out all kinds of stuff for us. Right. There's people that can't do that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? They, they mm-hmm. can't put a flow to their mind mm-hmm. in order to go from point A to point B to point C, blah, 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 in a creative sense. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's some people that just cannot relate to the world that way. And they can't, they're, they're too literal, or, you know, they take things literally, and they can kind of only express themselves in, yeah. a, in a literal way. They can't, they can't look at things differently or, or take their feeling and express it through some other medium, you know? Yeah. That's like, you know, the Japanese is, is being a total, you know, Japanese are like, probably, you know, the Americans are, are kind of, socially awkward when it comes to outside of the U.S. You know, the Japanese are probably the most creative people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They can make an anime just about anything. Right. You know, yeah. it could be a snail going across the, <laughs> the, the a hot concrete, you know, yeah. sidewalk, and mm-hmm. they can probably come up with a, a, a 30 episode anime series <laughs> right. about it. You know, yeah. it, you know, Americans don't grasp that kind of concept, you mm-hmm. know, either it's got it's, and it's got to be some certain shtick. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but you know, Japanese are all over the place. So. Yeah, I mean, definitely, and they have a. That's a whole other conversation to go into the depth of Japanese culture and art. But I, w- I want to get back to Jesse for a second because yeah, go ahead. Because um, my memories of him are very specific, and they're quite weird in a way. And so, to me, he had this weird creative streak. That was just he was a complete oddball, which yeah. is which is what I that was the level I r- related to him on. And then there was like his family a religious le- level that was like I could not relate to him on. And it was that was kind of like the you, that was like the boundary you could not cross. But the things I remember are like being in his backyard where he'd taken a. Uh, like a mop handle that the the mop had come off and so it left like a little metal prong on the end and then <laughs> yeah. and then he would take the the plums off of his plum tree and stick them on that prong and then we would use that mop handle to just to just lob those plums over the roof like to who knows where and he would he would do this all the time like this is one of his pastimes is he would just yeah. throw like semi rotten plums throughout the yeah. neighborhood and I'm like to me, I was like, where does this come from? You know, of course it was like fun. It's like, okay, yeah, let's do that. But he had his own weird, like little universe of, of stuff going on. Like him wanting to play the, uh, household warrior game. Do you remember that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like that was pretty brilliant in a way. I thought that was pretty creative, you know, that here's the rules. You can make your weapons and your armor with whatever you can find in the house. And you've got like ten minutes to do it, and then the battle ensues. You know, you, you, you the funny thing you say about that, you're right. It, it's yeah, he had this odd. He just he enjoyed reckless fun. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, you know what? Because uh, now that you said that, this dude used to fuck himself up physically all the time. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, he, I mean, he would. It, it, I'm not talking like bruises and shit. I'm talking like going to the hospital. Oh shit. 
You know yeah. what I mean? So like, there was a couple. Of, I remember one time uh, he had a wooden fence in his backyard. I think you remember that. Yes. Uh huh. They were redoing something. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know that the, the wood they use for like wooden fence, especially the post, it's not like the smoothest thing. You know right. I mean? Yeah. So he like climbed up it and like he was gonna slide down. <laughs> He's gonna slide down like it was a fire pole or something. Uh huh. And he ended up getting this huge piece of wood shoved up in his inside of his thigh. Oh God! And he had to go to the hospital for that, you know. And it, it, there's a there's a kind of like I'm around the story out here with all this. Mm-hmm. Then there was a thing. He had this tree and it had this perfect branch to hang upside down on. Right. Mm-hmm. You know how you hook your legs up and hang upside down. Yep. And he was doing something where I don't know what he was doing, Taylor. I think he was trying to try to do where he was swinging back and forth. To where he could do a, he can invert himself where he landed on his feet again. Okay. Yep. And well, what happened? You know, you're. I mean, we were only like twelve or something like that. And mm-hmm. Hell, our legs are. There's only like so much surface area your legs that you can swing on. Yeah. And you know, every swing he did, you know, the, the log moved a little, or the branch moved a little bit farther down his leg. <laughs> and eventually, right when he got to a certain point where he was perfectly, you know, from kneecap. Spine all the way to his head, <laughs> vertical to the ground. Yeah, he fell and he jammed his head. He, I, I've never seen anybody just jam their neck. <laughs> oh, God, oh, I can picture that. Yeah. And what happened was, I thought he'd like literally like broken his neck, sp- like some spinal injury because, yeah. um, about thirty minutes, I sat with him for a little while. Of course, his mom, you know. Was, trying to coddle him and all this stuff like mm-hmm. that which is all I'm going to go to this other part of the story he got up and he couldn't move his spine or his <laughs> neck or anything he was crazy oh god he's freaking out here. Yeah. so then then another instance is uh, <laughs> he was cutting an orange I remember that I knew I was he's, thinking that same thing go ahead and yeah, say this, it yeah. this was a memorial this was when we yeah. were in like 5th grade yeah because he missed a whole baseball season because of this shit right uh, where he severed like two of his tendons or some shit like that. Yeah, his, and his palm, and like they snapped back into his to, arm or yeah, something. Because yeah, he was he cutting like, an orange, holding an orange in his palm, and having the knife in the other hand, and yeah. he cut right through into his palm yeah. and just severed. Well, that that was his his thing. He was going to cut. He was cutting the orange in half. <laughs> it wasn't like he was trying to cut the peel off or anything yeah. like that. You know, uh-huh. he, he was literally trying to cut. He didn't instead of putting it on a cutting board. <laughs> You know, Jesse was smart when it came to academics in a certain sense, but he had, like, no common sense whatsoever. That's true, yeah. And uh, then he had the incident where he sliced off the tip of his finger mm-hmm. by throwing a... He, he found a cracked beer bottle. Mm-hmm. You know? And what, what when I say cracked, it was like... It wasn't like it had a hairline crack. It was already cracked all the way through. It was being held by the uh, adhesive labeling that goes around it. Yeah, okay. You know, but it was already the point where, you know, the the paper, the glued paper mm-hmm. was yeah. already deteriorated a little bit. So it was kind of shaky to begin with. Right. And then what, what he did was he, he tried to throw it and it disintegrated in his hand. And just by chance, I know this sounds crazy, <laughs> the bottle like sliced off <laughs> uh, just a... Uh, uh, about a half a no, nah, what do you say? About a half a nickel area uh-huh. at the tip of his finger. It wasn't like the whole finger. It was just this this just the meaty this layer of skin to the yeah. meat. Yeah. God. You know, I was like, how does that happen? You know? And then you would think he learned his lesson with all this shit, especially with glass. Right. So, in the area where they build Brookshire's, whatever it is now, I think it's like a Walgreens now or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were in the long run, we were all daredevils. I mean, I remember when you broke your arm right in the bar trying to jump up yeah. something in the backyard or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. the impact. You jumped up so high, the impact broke your arm. It's crazy. <laughs> but um, he decided he was going to jump off this thing, and I'm looking right at, to this day, I'm looking at the ground, and you can see the broken glass. Oh, God. Yeah, it was just like, you know, it was like brown, crushed up. And he's like, ah, you know, he was saying some spiel or something like that. Like, Watch what I'm getting ready to do. And I'm, you know, kind of like that whole hold my beer thing. Yeah. And um, he jumps down. Of course, he lands on his hand. He punctures his fucking hand. I was just like, oh, my God, dude. You know? Yeah. So my mom, you know, and, you know, and, and to top it all off, you know, I used to get hurt with him 
with that you go back to that slinging plums around and stuff like <laughs> right, that and everything yeah. <laughs> yeah you know if you didn't watch out or you didn't distance yourself when he was doing crap like that mm-hmm. and his brother john was like that too you know you might be some collateral damage buddy yeah right you know and there was a couple times you know we'd do stuff like have like mud clawed fights <laughs> yeah right you know and i got tagged in the head I, you know i had to get stitches because of him Jeez. one time um oh hope my daughter walked- just got home Oh, Hi, Aria. Man, I'm, I'm just sorry. finishing up a recording, okay? Do you want to say hello? Or do you want to go get the kids? Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Okay, close the door. I'll yeah. be finished in a few minutes, okay? Yeah. So then I- Thank you. <laughs> thanks for that. No, don't turn the fan on. I want it to... I, it makes too much noise. Yeah, well, don't come in here. Go out and I'll be finished in a few minutes, okay? Who are you talking to? To my friend. Who's your friend? His friend's his name is Larry. You can call him Uncle Larry. <laughs> okay, go on out. Larry, Larry. Yeah. Who is he? He's a friend of mine. What's his name? I told you his name. Go out and Are close the door. Are you sure that's his name? Uh, he might be lying to me. Maybe he has a different name. <laughs> Are you lying to me? No, get out. Go close the door and I'll, I'll be finished in about five minutes. Okay, well, Larry, I've got to go. I've got to get the other two out of school. But thanks for talking. Um, Oh, yeah, no worries, man. I enjoyed it very immensely. Okay, thanks, Larry. Take care, boy, amigo. No worries. See you later. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Someone Else's Memories by Revolution Void and Calm the Fuck Down by Broke for Free are used under a Creative Commons attribution license.